And good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you all for being here today uh, at South Park Church. Um, can you guys hear? Is my mic on? Okay, good. Just making sure. Uh, glad you're here today uh, as this combined service. Those of you watching online, what a special way to start the week of Christmas. As Pastor Lindsay said, we're in the season of Advent, which means the coming or the arrival. We're going to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ that very first Christmas. We hope you come back for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day services. Uh, we're in the midst of a series, though, in which we're, uh, it's called Prepare the Way for the Lord. Uh, and it's based upon a study by Pastor Adam Hamilton in which we're looking at the life of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, whose mission, his role, was to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And we are taking some time to think about how can we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus, not only this week, but also uh, in the future when he comes back. And so we're thinking about what does it look like for us to prepare ourselves uh, to be in this relationship with Jesus. So again, thank you all for being here. Uh, what a great way to start this off uh, with our children's nativity today. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a lot of good experiences with my cousins. So did my wife, Laura. My dad is one of nine children. My wife is uh, father is one of six children. And so we have all kinds of cousins. I have cousins that are as old enough to be my parents. And so I used to love to look forward to extended family gatherings, Thanksgiving and Christmas, kind of like what you guys maybe just experienced or getting ready to this week. And um, some cousins I knew really well and some I didn't, but at these, these gatherings, it was great just to hang out and have fun with all my cousins. And so now that we have children uh, who are 14 and 10 and we go to these extended family gatherings, we take joy in watching them interact with their cousins. Some of them they know really well, and so we go for Thanksgiving or Christmas, they just go right over to each other and start playing. And others of the cousins they don't see but once a year, so it takes them a little while to get used to them again. But at the end of the night when we're ready to, to go home, the kids don't want to leave. They're outside playing in the middle of the cold and you know, just enjoying their experience with their cousins. What's your experience with your extended family? I hope it's good. I hope you're not dreading getting to see them later this week, but I know that's part of the deal as well. Um, but today I want to talk about some cousins that are very special, and that's Jesus and John the Baptist. We've been looking at the life of John as he's the one to prepare the way for Jesus. That was his mission from God. And he was a special son, right? His parents were old. They were past childbearing age. They tried to have kids their whole life. It didn't happen until an angel, Gabriel, showed up and said, your prayers have been answered, and you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John, and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And of course, Jesus is the Messiah, and he came from a, also a, a, this weird kind of announcement that an angel, the same angel, shows up to Mary and says, God wants you to carry the Son of God. Even though you're not married, you're still a virgin, and the Holy Spirit's going to make this happen. And so Elizabeth, John's mom, and Mary's Jesus' mom were cousins, and they were close cousins, and they spent a lot of time together when they were pregnant. And so we fast forward the story, and after John's born, we don't see his parents anymore. We talked about this last week. Maybe they were so old that they died, or maybe they were in the background, just the, the scripture writers didn't mention them anymore, or maybe John was, had gone to live with priests, that they had dedicated him to be with, with priests. But anyway, I wonder about how often did Jesus and John get to see each other growing up? Because Mary and Elizabeth were very close, and so if they were that close, surely they would want their boys to grow up to get, know each other. John's whole mission was to prepare the world to know Jesus, his cousin, and so I'm guessing at some point they had to have interacted. 
Maybe when Mary, uh, Joseph, and Jesus would travel uh, each year to Jerusalem to go to religious festivals, they might have stopped by to see John, whether he was with his parents or living with a priest somewhere. Um, and I just wonder, like, if Jesus and John were growing up, what they talked about, right? Did they talk about theology? Did they talk about their mission? Hey, I'm going to get people ready for you. Like, you know, what those conversations were. Because Jesus and John had a lot in common. Here's some similarities between Jesus and John we can share with you up here on the screen. They, their births uh, resulted from special conception, right? Angels and supernatural kind of stuff going on. They were both dedicated to God before they were born. They were called by God to play a pivotal role in God's plan. They called people to repentance, to turn back to God and to be baptized. And they announced that the kingdom of God is near. And I wonder how much Bible theology that they talked as they were growing up. But we don't have any records of that. The first uh, record that we have of John and Jesus is when they're both grown men and they're getting ready to start Jesus' ministry. And Jesus comes and asks John to baptize him. Let's read that scripture here in, uh, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. Right? To be baptized meant that you turned away from doing wrong things, you asked God to forgive you, and then you were symbolically washed clean by the water. And so John was a little put off by Jesus asking him to baptize him. Why should I baptize you? You haven't done anything wrong. You're perfect. You're the Messiah. Why should I baptize you? It's a good question, isn't it? Right? And I think more to the point of Jesus being baptized by John, one, it shows us it's an example of things that Jesus wants us to do to receive the waters of baptism. But I think Jesus' baptism was special because when he was baptized, right, the Holy Spirit came down, God spoke from heaven, said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. It was kind of like his, his coming out party as the Messiah, right, his, his ordination. It was a special different thing. But of course, it was his cousin John that did this. And after this, Jesus goes and does his public ministry. Right? So this special connection between these two cousins, John the Baptist and Jesus. Now John, like Jesus, also had disciples. They were out there with John baptizing and calling people to repent, things like that. So there was a whole following of John just as Jesus had his own disciples. And, and for the most part, they got along. But they, sometimes John's disciples were a little jealous of Jesus' disciples saying they're getting more attention than we are, right? And they found out that Jesus was doing miracles with uh, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, and so that kind of caused some questions between them. And so there were also some differences between Jesus and John and their disciples. Here are a few differences between Jesus and John's disciples. Um, John could be really harsh and direct with anyone, right? You need to turn around. You're not doing the right thing. You need to come back to God. But Jesus saved his hard words for religious leaders. You guys should know better, right? So a little different there. John stayed out in the rocky wilderness while Jesus moved about in towns and villages. Uh, and John was an ascetic, which he fasted, didn't eat a lot. He prayed a lot, which Jesus did. But Jesus also shared meals with other people, uh, including Gentiles. And so a little bit different here. Uh, and even though John loved Jesus and was preparing the way for him, uh, believed he was the Messiah, he did have one kind of moment of doubt in which he wasn't sure 
that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus this. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, John's disciples told him about all these things. And calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? That passage kind of takes me off guard, thinking about the relationship between John and Jesus and all this preparation. Uh, and, And yet John still, with all of that going on, has some doubt. Are you really the one? Have I been wasting my time in doing all of this? When we started this message series, we we talked about how doubt is an important part of our life in faith. That those of us who believe in God or want to believe in God or thinking about believing in God, we, we wrestle with questions of doubt and that that's okay. And that when we do that, it usually ends up making our faith stronger. And so if you're wrestling with doubt in your life right now, you know, some people would say, oh, you can't do that. There's something wrong with you. I would say that's a normal part of a relationship with God, and that's okay. And it's okay to explore that. Even John the Baptist had his doubts, right? So Jesus replied, though, to John's uh, disciples and sent them back with a message that said this. So Jesus said to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy, skin disease are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus says, all this stuff's going on. Who do you think is doing that? The Messiah. In the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, all those things were prophesied to say the Messiah will come and do these things. And so Jesus said, do you want to know if I'm Messiah? These are the things that I'm doing. Absolutely, I'm the one. Right? And so they, they sent it back. Now what's awesome is uh, the rest of the Gospels, John has just this incredible, solid faith that Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah. Let's look at a few of these passages where uh, John makes it very clear that Jesus is the one. In Mark's Gospel, and this was his message, After me comes the one who's more powerful than I am, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. My baptism is special, but Jesus's will be better. All right, let's keep going. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. All right, Jesus is better than me. He's the Messiah. He does bigger things than me. I'm just a messenger. All right, one more scripture. And to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and now it is complete. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Jesus is the one. He's the man. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. I am just the one preparing the way for him. I don't even deserve to untie his shoe. Right? So John had a moment of doubt, but he had a lifetime of faith. And he had a lifetime of following. And I love the humility of John here. There's a business book. You might have heard of it, Good to Great. We've got a picture of this book uh, and the guy who wrote that, Jim Collins, uh, it's, it's a few years old now, but the principles are pretty much the same. Jim Collins studied companies in America to determine what made one company great as opposed to just being a good company, like the top companies in America, top companies in the world. 
And he found out that there were certain characteristics of the leaders of those companies that would take their company from being good to being great, right? The best in the industry, like top of the world. And one of these principles uh, was this, right? That the CEO or the leader of these companies had extreme personal humility. They were very humble. It was not about them. Extreme personal humility. But they also had intense corporate will, right? Intense professional will, right? We are going to be the best at this as a company, right? It's not about me as the leader, right? I'm, I, it's not about me, but it's about us, and we're going to be the best in the world, right? So these companies that are the best in the world, right, the leaders don't take any credit, but they are driving the bus. They're making sure we're going to be the best ones selling hamburgers, we're the best ones sending videos or making phones or whatever it is, and so they have this dominating will to, to, to reach a vision, but they're very humble, right? Collins calls these leaders level five leaders. Jesus and John the Baptist were level five leaders. They were incredibly humble, right? John the Baptist, like, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. I'm not even worthy to, to tie his shoes, right? But I'm going to go out in the wilderness, and it's my job to get people ready for this. And so I'm going to tell people they need to turn back to God. I'm going to baptize people, and I'm going to tell everybody who needs to hear that. Even people in power need to hear that. Right? So he was humble, but he was driven to prepare people for Jesus. Jesus was the same way. Jesus was God, the Son of God himself, and he was humble. He would, he would wash people's dirty, stinky feet, right? get down and do something that no king anywhere would do but he was determined that he was going to save humanity to the point that he gave his life up on a cross nothing was going to stop jesus from saving us right and so john and jesus these incredibly humble people who drove right their their vision to reach people for god right and i wonder if like what john said here Jesus needs to increase and I need to decrease. What if that was our goal as individuals, as families, as a church? What if our goal was that Jesus would be more inside of us and there would be less of us? So that the things that we say and think and feel and do reflect more of Jesus than the personal egotistical ambition that usually gets us all into trouble. What if our prayer, what if our goal was to let Jesus increase and for us to decrease? Founder of the Methodist movement, of which our church is a part, John Wesley, wrote a, a prayer about this. It's called the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. I've got a, a picture of it here up on the screen. You might want to take a picture of that with your phone. This would be a great prayer to pray every day. Thinking about Jesus, I want you to increase in me and I want to decrease because I want to live a life that really is full, right? This is a prayer to God. I'm no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praise for you or criticize for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, a wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let also be made in heaven. You know, a lot of us like the part about doing and, and being full and having all things. 
but John and Jesus showed us that sometimes we need to be set aside or criticized or to be empty or to have nothing. Right? What would it look like in your life for Jesus to increase and for you to decrease? Right? Not to get rid of your personality or anything like that because God made you in special ways, but to allow Jesus to be the one driving the bus in your life. What would that look like? And again, John let nothing stand in his way. He even died for his faith. Right? So in his ministry, John was calling people to repent and to turn back to God uh, from everyday common people to religious leaders to even kings. Right? King Herod was the local ruler of Israel, and he was put into place by uh, the Roman government. Uh, and John the Baptist got into his face because he was doing something that was absolutely wrong. Right? This is Herod Antipas was his name, and Herod fell in love with his half-brother's wife, who also happened to be his niece. That's a little weird, isn't it? Yeah. That's an extended family I wouldn't want to go to, right? So, so Herod and his sister-in-law, who's also his niece, Herodias, fell in love with each other, and so they both divorced, right? So Herod divorced his wife, and his brother got divorced by uh, his wife Herodias. And so Herod Antipas married Herodias uh, in this really sick, disgusting marriage kind of thing. Uh, and John came and told him, no, this is wrong. He stood up to power. You need to turn from your ways. You need to turn back to God. Right? So let's see what happens to John in Scripture when he does this. Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put into prison. He did this because of his wife Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herod and Herodias get upset about this. They have him thrown in jail. She wants him dead. But what's amazing is that Herod went to visit John in prison, and John continued to call him and say, you need to repent. Herod began to respect him and wanted to spend time with him. And he began to protect John from being killed by his wife. But then one day, he was at a party. His wife Herodias did a dance. He's like, I'm so impressed with this. I'll give you anything that you want. She's like, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. Go and kill him. And Herod didn't want to do it. But he had all these witnesses and had to save face. And so he ordered John to be killed. They cut off his head, you know, put it on the silver platter, brought it back. And so John was a martyr. He did the right thing, even to the point of death. But Herod was a coward. He liked John. He didn't want to kill John. But he wanted to save face in front of his guest, in front of his wife. And so he did something that he didn't want to do. And he had, had John killed. Right? So on one hand, you've got this humble guy who has incredible courage, who will stand up for what he believes in. And you have another guy who has all this power, but he's a coward. And he won't stand up for what he believes in. Right, so this same Herod is the one at the end of Jesus' life who participates in Jesus' death. When Herod and Pilate go back and forth about what to do with Jesus and ultimately Jesus is killed. We'll talk about that in a few months when we get to Easter. Right, but Herod played a role in the death of Jesus. You know what happened to Herod? Didn't go well for Herod. Right? So uh, you remember he divorced his wife so he could marry his sister slash niece. Well, her daddy didn't like that. Right? His ex-father-in-law got an army and came and killed Herod and wiped out his army. Right? So he had it coming, I guess. But I think the question here in our life, what are you willing to stand up for? What are you willing to stand up for in your life, in your family, in your job, in your school, 
What are you willing to stand up for that's right and you know that's right even though others around you don't agree and, and could make fun of you or cause you trouble? Right? What would you be willing to die for? Right? We, we all watch as Russia and the Ukraine are in this terrible war and I found out recently I was reading an article about the president of the Ukraine and the, and the United States government offered to get him out, to get him to safety. He said, thanks, but no thanks. I can't leave my people. I'm willing to stand up for them. I'm willing to die for them. What are you willing to stand up for that's right? What are you willing to, to stand up for that's right that could cause you lots and lots of trouble, just like John and just like Jesus who stood up for us when he died on the cross because he wants us to be in a right relationship with him? What are we willing to stand up for? All right, I want to go to another passage about John. This is uh, in a famous passage in the Gospel of John. We'll look at this on Christmas Eve. It's talking about Jesus being the light that shines in the darkness and that the darkness cannot overcome Jesus. And John the Baptist makes that passage of Scripture. Let's check this out in John's Gospel. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came as a witness to the light. Again, John's role to prepare people for Jesus, to reflect Jesus to the world. This week was one of the biggest meteor showers that we'll be able to see uh, here in North America this year. I don't know if you got to see that or not. You could see meteors with the naked eye. If you had like a telescope, you could really see a lot of those things flying around and stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, maybe some of you have telescopes. If you were to look up, like to look at the moon tonight, you would need a filter uh, called a lunar filter because the moon is so bright when you look at it that it could blind you, right, if you don't have like this filter. Uh, and, but what's interesting about the moon is the moon emits no light by itself. It reflects the light of the sun, right? It doesn't shine any light itself, right? But it, it can shine light enough from the distance from the moon to the earth to, to make our vision go really bad. That's what John was for Jesus. He wasn't the light, but he reflected the light and helped lots of people change their lives to say, you know what, I'm going down the wrong path. And God doesn't want me to go down this path. He wants better things for me. I need to turn away from this and I need to turn to God. Right? So John wasn't the light, but he reflected the light. And I think that's exactly the message that we're supposed to take out of this scripture. We're not the light. We're not Jesus. But if we follow Jesus, we're supposed to reflect that light and shine the light into the world that needs it. And our world really needs light and good news, doesn't it? Right? We're coming out of the pandemic. There are all these wars. There's political division in our nation. There's racism. There's violence. There's all kinds of school shootings and mass shootings. There was a shooting in a mall here, North Lake Mall in Charlotte, just this week. Right? There, there are so many people in the world who are living in darkness, and we have the light of Jesus. And we're to be like John the Baptist and shine the light so that other people can have hope in the darkness. We've been talking a lot about how to do this tangibly in, uh, in this season of Advent. And I'll remind you today that every year we have a tradition at our church that we give Jesus a birthday present, right? Because Christmas is, after all, Jesus' birthday, right? You know, this is a great question. If it's Jesus' birthday, why are we the ones that get all the presents, right? And I'm not against Christmas presents. We're going to give some. We're going to receive some. I hope you got all that stuff bought and ready. If not, you got a week to do that. Right, but we also want to give Jesus a birthday present. What does it look like to give Jesus a present? When Jesus has everything that he already needs, right? He's God. What do you give Jesus? What we give Jesus is we take up an offering on Christmas, right? And we give 100% of that away. 
and we give it to ministries or nonprofits that we believe are doing the work of Jesus in the world. And so we say, Jesus, this is our way to honor you. And we challenge each other, right? Give more to the offering than you're going to spend on the person you're buying the most for, right? So if you're buying the most for your spouse or your kid, right? Maybe think about, I want to give Jesus a little bit more than that. Say, Jesus, you're number one. It's your birthday. This is my gift to you. And so when we give that money at Christmas Eve this year, we're going to give it and we're going to split it evenly between three different charities. Two of them are here in Charlotte, uh, Justice Ministries and Dahlia Grove, and they fight against human trafficking. Charlotte's number one in North Carolina and in the top 10 in the nation for human trafficking, buying and selling people, modern-day slavery, mostly women and children who are bought and sold for sex, and it's heartbreaking. And so we have two local groups that help rescue these people out of slavery. They get them in a, a safe house, and they get them back on their feet, right? And so we talked about that the past couple of weeks. I want to introduce to you today the other charity that we're going to take up uh, money for is a church in Asheville. It's a United Methodist church like us uh, called Haywood Street Congregation, and the pastor grew up in our church. And Haywood Street Congregation is a church in Asheville that is, it, it's made up of homeless people. It's for homeless people, and it's made up of homeless people, and they don't have any money. So they're relying upon other churches like us to fund them to do this incredible ministry. And so I want to share with you a couple slides here. The next one is their mission. Right, Haywood Street Congregation is a downtown Asheville church where all people without exception are welcomed and affirmed of their sacred worth. We strive to follow the example of Christ who sought relationships with individuals that others dismissed as not worthy of redemption. We pursue this mission through core programs since 2009. This next slide shows you some of what they do. They have a downtown welcome table where they provide meals for homeless people every day. And they have full linen and silverware, and they make these folks feel like a real special person, which they are. They have the Haywood Street respite when people who are homeless are in the hospital and they get out of the hospital. They have nowhere to go. Uh, they can remain sick and die. They have rooms and beds for people to recover when they get out of the hospital. Uh, they have this beautiful fresco that, that shows uh, their ministry. They do worship uh, every day that all these folks can come to. They have a salon so they can get their hair cut, companion ministry, a community garden. Uh, and then the next slide uh, shows you that they're also working on affordable housing, right, to have affordable housing to fight the homeless pro problem of making homeless people no longer homeless, right? That's a new thing. So what we give this Christmas is going to go to help, right, establish affordable housing uh, for homeless people. And the next slide uh, just shows you, you know, a quote, right? When I was homeless, Haywood Street helped me to bring myself back up. They supported me when I needed it the most. People call me by my name. It's a welcoming place. People listen to me. Uh, and I am treated with respect and dignity and kindness. And the founding pastor, the lead pastor, grew up in our church, just like John grew up in the faith, Jesus grew up in the faith, uh, Pastor Brian Combs grew up in the faith. And he recorded just a brief video uh, of Welcome I want to share with you. Hey, South Park. For those of you who taught me in Sunday school, nurtured my faith and formed lifelong friendships with my parents, I'm grateful to be back among you, even if virtually. For those of you I haven't yet met, my name is Brian Combs and I'm the founding pastor of Haywood Street, a United Methodist Mission congregation located in the homeless corridor of downtown Asheville. Our mission is relationship above all else. We find every holy excuse 
worshiping alongside one another, passing the plate of abundant food, standing in awe before the fresco, healing and respite after leaving the hospital, to be with one another. If your mental illness is fragmenting, your substance use disorder raging, your precarious existence between life and death worsening, then the opposite of poverty isn't material excess, but rather unflinching community. Wahewood Street addresses the dearth of resources on a daily basis. Our primary calling is to be with people estranged against their will, to widen the circle of inclusion among street siblings without a family of faith, to believe that Jesus is already among us, hiding in rags and loitering on the corner, waiting to be welcomed into a church bearing his name. Convinced that ministry is ultimately relational, I hope you'll join what God is doing in the mountains, an urban ministry that began long ago at 3151 Apex Drive, Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you for your generosity with the Christmas offering, and thank you for inviting me to be with you in person come February. I can't wait to come home. So this Christmas, we get to shine the light in the lives of people who have been enslaved in our city and who are batting homelessness and substance abuse in a sister city uh, from a pastor who grew up in this congregation. So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? This is what I think it is straight out of the Bible. We're not the light. Jesus is. But we reflect Jesus to the world. We're not the light. John's not the light. Jesus is. But we have the awesome privilege and responsibility of reflecting Jesus to the world. So I invite you to think and pray about two action steps that you can kind of follow up from this. One will be to invite someone to our Christmas Eve or Christmas Day worship services. Right? This is a chance for people who don't know God. Maybe you say, you know what, I'll give it a chance. And we're going to preach a lot about Jesus, talk a lot about Jesus uh, this week. And so we love for you to bring someone with you. We can do that online as well. And then to pray about supporting the Christmas offering. Again, helping shine the light into people's lives who've been enslaved in our city and who are battling homelessness and substance abuse uh, in Asheville, North Carolina. We're not the light. Jesus is. But we get to reflect that light. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of that Christmas miracle? That miracle that these kids came and sang and acted out. We get to be a part of that today. Thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.